World Wide Web has long been host to copied and pasted stories of an apocryphal nature. These stories came to be known as Copyvasta, and then the creepy variant emerged. Welcome to Creepy Podsta, the Creepy Pasta Podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm the host of it, Jeff, and we're here. I say we, but it's just me right now. I'm the only one talking. There are two other people in the room. One of them will be on the podcast, and the other one will not. He's just going to look at Twitter on his iPad instead. Because um, we're talking about a movie today, and that movie is Ari Oster's sophomore film, uh, feature film anyway, uh, Midsummer. This starred uh, Florence Pugh, Jack Raynor, William Jackson Harper, Wilhelm Blumgren, and Will Poulter. Uh, And with me to discuss this movie is uh, extremely famous and popular beloved illustrator that everyone uh, knows and likes, Leah Patterson. Hi! And that sounded like I was being very condescending, but I was trying to pump you up, actually. I'm mostly trying to not cough right now as you're doing the introduction. Oh, oh right. Yeah, I forgot. The yep. cough is probably <laughs> not... Uh, <laughs> conducive to podcasting. I didn't plan this out very well. Uh, Anyway, this movie just came out, so if you want to go see it and you don't want to be spoiled for it, uh, go see it. Super don't listen to this. Yeah, don't listen to this. Uh, Spoiler warning. Also, if you have no intention of watching this movie, like maybe you saw Hereditary and hated it, or maybe you were like, I have too much, like... uh, family trauma to watch Hereditary, uh, so I'm going to listen to the podcast about it instead. That applies to this one as well. Like, pretty much every content warning I gave in that episode applies here. Uh, very, like, realistic and brutal depictions of grief and familial trauma and violence and sort of an air of sexual menace, I guess... That one we'll get into, but it's hard to describe uh, without going into the details that I'm specifically trying to avoid going into in the warning section of the podcast. But, like, if if that kind of stuff troubles you, this is maybe a movie to avoid. Uh, very similar to Hereditary, it is a movie where I have told people not to watch it. Um, and I guess let's get into the plot of it. Leah, you want to start us off? It's, it's almost an hour and a half long, so we'll try to get through it quick. So, the movie opens up. Uh, it introduces... Almost two and a half hours long. Why did I say almost an hour and a half? That would, <laughs> that would be like the length of a Disney movie. No. It is the length of a like long superhero blockbuster movie, which is unusual. Trying to time the coughs correctly so you can cut them out. Mm, oh, um, I won't. <laughs> I'm not good at editing. Great. Um, uh, I guess I could take notes of when those happen. Like, do you have a pen and a no, paper? I don't have anything with me right now. Okay, I'll take the notes on my phone. You go ahead. Okay, so th- when the movie starts, we are introduced to the uh, main character of the movie named Danny, 
and she is in some sort of dismay because she's received a an email from her sister, who we learn very quickly is suffers from bipolar disorder, um, and it's very ominous. And she's called her parents and her sister multiple times and is unable to get a hold of them. Um, and so we see her kind of take a step back and really decide if she wants to call her boyfriend, uh, which is already not great. That already tells you a lot about the relationship, that she's going through this thing that feels like a very um, real personal crisis, and she feels like she's not sure if she should call her boyfriend about it or not. And we find out that they have been dating at this point for, I guess, at this part in the movie, it's about three and a half years, Mm because it's before the skip ahead. Yeah. Uh, Because we find out later in the film, which takes place like in the summer, this scene is in the winter, it's snowing out, Uh, we find out later that it's like all very close to their four anniversary so they've been like dating a while like to the point where she should feel comfortable when going through a crisis calling her boyfriend Mm -hmm. um and so she does finally decide to call him it flips over and we're introduced to her boyfriend and his friends and um these are the main characters in the movie these are all of the top faces you know um and so they are talking about the fact that her boyfriend christian um has wanted to break up with her for a while Like at least a year? Yeah, like he's been trying to get out of the relationship for at least a year, and his friends tell him that it's basically abusive, that she calls him uh, when she needs support in terms of uh, familial issues or emotional stuff. Um, We also learn at this point that Danny is also seeking help through a therapist. We see her take an anxiety pill while this is going on. Yeah, she takes an Ativan. Yeah. Which, that's like a hardcore one, right? Yeah, it's something that calms you down when you're in a a crisis. One that's like strong enough that people take it recreationally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah, she's like not having a good time, but like is managing it. And it's... I think not unreasonable for him to be like, I would like to break up, but the fact that he's been putting it off for so long is really bad, and the way his friends are talking about it is, like, not good. But it's, it all, I don't know if you agree or not, but it all feels like it's in this realm of, like, nobody feels, like, totally as much of an asshole as they usually do in this type of story. Is that... I feel like I felt like the character of Christian was, like, such a wet blanket the entire movie. Mm. Like, it seems like his character is written to make us feel like he will not make a decision one way or another, and he doesn't really have enough of an opinion about what's going on to be like, nobody is having fun here anymore, we should just call it. Um, yeah, he he's definitely someone who, like, just follows what mm-hmm. other people are doing. I mean, he lets his friends talk shit about his girlfriend. Yeah. Um, he agrees with them, but then he picks up the phone and tries to be supportive. So it's this weird, like, middle ground of, like, maybe he's not the right person for this relationship, but I don't think that he knows himself enough or maybe cares enough to, like, make that call, which is very frustrating. And then the whole thing with his thesis, like, he hasn't, he can't decide what he wants to do his thesis right. on until he talks to his friend Josh, and is like, hey, I'm gonna do my thesis on the same topic that you're doing yours on and like they have a fight about it um he like i don't know yeah he is just like he's such a nothing character in a way that felt very real like there's a lot of men who are very bad at relationships because they just don't 
feel any type of way. Right. Like she's trapped in this relationship and he's trapped in this relationship because like he just doesn't know what to do. Um, and that's not even necessarily because he's a bad person. Um, but I don't think that that type of person is equipped to deal with huge family tragedies, which, uh, yeah. really set off the events of the movie in this first sequence because he talks, uh, Danny down after she finally decides to call him. Yeah. And he's, then- he, he's like sort of maybe a little bit cruelly because we know what happens, but like maybe fairly because of based on his experience, he's like, you're like, you're overreacting a little bit. Like your sister does this all the time. It's going to be fine. You're going to be okay. Which is like, that's a nice way to calm someone down, but he was also wrong. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, we see Danny having a phone call with one of her friends afterwards where she's admitting that, She's worried that if she keeps trying to seek emotional support out of her boyfriend, um, he'll break up with her. And as that's happening, she gets another phone call and finds out that her sister has, in fact, strapped uh, hoses to the cars in their garage at her family home and has killed both of her parents and herself by running the hoses through the house. Yes. And the way that the whole, like, you might expect in a movie like this for it to be like we hear that phone call and then like we're led we just see she's getting a call while she's on the phone from an unknown number and then it cuts to a very slow walkthrough of like the fire department in the house well actually before the walkthrough it cuts to her boyfriend in the pizza place again oh getting a call again and he gets a phone call from her again and his friends are like oh my god she's calling you again this is ridiculous and he picks up and you just hear her wailing on the other side and then it goes to her family home and we see what's happened I guess there's probably going to be spoilers for Hereditary in here too because I can't help but compare them movies, but that felt very much like the off-screen Tony Collette wailing in Hereditary. Yeah. Where, like, we don't see her reaction. We don't, like, see much of the funeral. We just hear Anne, uh, like, screaming in despair. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something to be said for hearing someone having intense emotions before you're able to see them having them. Like, I think that Ari Esther definitely knows that that, like, hits something inside a person. Um, And you don't need to be, like, the greatest actor in the world to do it. mm -hmm. You can scream your head off, and if they can't, like, see your face, it's gonna, like, you can make that very believable without having to do all of that incredibly difficult face acting of, Mm -hmm. like, demonstrating despair. Which, later, Florence Pugh does, and she's incredible at it. But, like, for this in-the-moment stuff, I feel like if you see too much of the faces, it might not read as real. Well, it's that idea of, like, we we know as people what people look like when they're going through a hard time, and so I feel like when someone is so extremely grief-stricken, that's, like, one of the hardest facial expressions to evoke, because you spend forever hoping that you're never going to be that grief-stricken. So as an actor, I feel like that's, like, the hardest thing to be, like, well, what would happen? I don't know. I actually have never had to think about that in my life, like, what I would do if my sister, like, killed both my parents and then herself. Like, I... It it would just be really difficult to act that out. Yeah, it's... It's... That's part of why the, like, horror of 
hereditary, which I feel like is a little reenacted in the, in this opening sequence where it's just like, what's scary is the fact that no person ever wants to experience these things, but at literally any moment, any of us could go through something this bad because the world is a very random place and like car accidents happen and people have mental illnesses and like people get sick. Like there's all these ways in which like everyone you love could just die and there's not anything you can do about it. And that's really scary. And that's really very, very upsetting to have a movie remind you of that. Especially when that's not the main thrust of the film. Mm-hmm. Like, with this and Hereditary, the like main thing about the movie is that there's an evil cult hanging around. Yep. Uh, anyway, so we get there, and we cut to six months later, and... Danny is having a bad time still. She's not sleeping. Um, she's wearing depression clothes, which you brought up immediately, yeah. and I was noticing the entire time we were watching it. Yeah, it's like, at no point in the movie is she dressed cool, or like she's going to go out. She, like, at one point they're at a party and she has her hair down and, like, a slightly nicer outfit. You know what? About that outfit, though, that I noticed was when they're at the party, she's wearing a specific pair of, like, linen pants, and she has a t-shirt and she tucks it in, and as soon as they leave the party the t-shirt comes out, and then that's basically what she wears the whole movie, just in different colors. Pretty good. It's, like, the same outfit at the party. It's just, like, that is the moment where she's keeping it together, and as soon as she doesn't have to keep it together anymore, she tears it all down. That's what I think is really... It, like, I'm almost worried about Ari Aster that he was able to so accurately capture something that I don't think I would have been able to describe if you had asked me to mm-hmm. about being depressed is, like, yeah, she just kind of wears, like, sweatpants or, like, pajama shorts and an ill-fitting, ill-fitting t-shirt for most of the movie with her hair up in, like, a messy bun. She also, she does a thing that I feel like we don't see in terms of, like, depression depiction on TV, where, like, visually you can tell she's depressed. At least I can. I feel like as a person with depression, like, you know. You know when somebody dresses like that. Like, she's going on vacation and she's wearing, like, the baggiest clothes. She's not dr- taking care of herself. Yeah. But she still tries to, like, tone it down and take herself outside. And that makes it even worse because you know that she's still sad. Like yeah. it's it's obvious that she hasn't recovered because the first shot that we see of her after the time jump is in bed saying that she hasn't slept, so I guess she'll go to the party anyway. Like it's so there's such a like she okay, so the next thing that happens is she's at I guess it's Christian's apartment and they're all planning the trip. Mm-hmm. And he's like, by the way, also another point, this movie is extremely funny. <laughs> Uh, too, like on purpose, not by accident. Like all of the interactions between Christian's friends are like designed to be comedy, um, which kind of makes the juxtaposition with the actual events of the movie a little more upsetting too, because, um, they're all, he, like the way he springs it on them that like, yeah, I invited her and she said that she's going to go is really funny. I thought it was humorous because he's, he's just like, she's there. She rings the doorbell and he's like rings her in and he's like, that's Danny. By the way, I invited her to Sweden. And then like several minutes pass of them reacting and I guess her coming up the stairs and he goes to open the apartment door. And he's like, also, she said that she's going to go too, by the way. Also, I told her that you guys, it was your guys' idea to invite her. It's like so funny. And then she comes in and she's like, yeah, I guess I'm going on this trip. Um, Because like... 
it's pretty clear that she didn't want to go, and he only invited her because he thought it would be good for her. And then his friend who's, like, bringing them to this village is, like, so excited. Uh, what is his name? Pele? Pel? I think it's just Pel. Is it Pele? They say... Oh, there it is. Pele. I think it's... They say Pele, like the soccer player. Um, and he is, like, pumped that she's going on the trip. And he, like, he's he takes a moment to be, like, by the way... I heard about what happened, and I'm so sorry. I understand what it's like to go through that. My parents. And she just, like, is like, no. Uh, and, like, gets up and leaves the room and goes into the bathroom. And this transition is delightful. Yeah. She, it, like, goes to the above her, like, between the rooms and follows yeah, her. Yeah, like she enters the room. Yeah, and she goes into the bathroom, and it's suddenly the airplane bathroom. Yeah. And then when she comes out, she's on the flight. And then they're immediately in the car in Sweden. It's like, God, yeah, you don't want to waste time with all that stuff, but you do need to show, like, the transition. It's like a, like a temporal establishing shot, like, to, to show where we are in time. Well, I feel like that was showing also, um, where we were going to see in terms, what we were going to see in terms of where Danny was laying in her grief. Hmm. Because before that, we had seen her having meltdowns in front of her boyfriend, like, on the couch, or et cetera, et cetera. And then she goes to the party, and we're like, oh, she has it together. And then it's like, oh, no, she doesn't have it together. She's just hiding it. And it's like, and she's going to hide it once they get across these. Like, she's not better. It's, again, like, just another, like, little reminder. Like, no, 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 she's not doing well. She's just bottled it up now. And there was another effect at the party I liked, which is that all of the dialogue was, like, muted as if it was, like, in another room, and she's just, like, staring into space, and then she, like, notices them talking about the trip, and it, like, perks up. It's like, what? What trip? Uh, So they're in Sweden, and everything seems totally creepy. Um, As soon as they get there, Pele's brother, um, what's his name? I do not. I don't. Yerma. Yerma. I, it's not even on the Wikipedia. Yerma. 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 Um, well, they... He's got some kind of Swedish name, and he gives them all mushrooms, and they, like, immediately take mushrooms, but she's like, I don't think that's a good idea for me, and uh, Christian is like, okay, I'll wait and take them with you, and then Christian's terrible friends are like, you can't, we have to do it at the same time. Like, come on, guy. And so she decides to do it so that Christian can do it yeah. with his friends. Um, it's also important to note that once they get to Sweden, we see them drive through a town, and then we find out that the drive is four hours, and then they're in literally the goddamn middle of nowhere. Like, they drive through some woods, and then they come out in a field in the woods, which is only the first leg of the trip. They're not even there yet, yeah. and they're already, like, in the middle of fucking nowhere. And it's, like, up near the Arctic Circle, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be above it, I'm not sure. Because we don't, we're not very precise in the location. But anyway, because it's so close to the summer solstice, the sun does not set for very long. Like it dip, I think it dips beneath the horizon for a couple hours. So they must be like just south of the Arctic Circle. Um, but it's like they're tripping, and Mark, the bad friend who everyone hates. Uh, is like, what time is it? And Christian's like, 9 p.m. And he starts freaking out. Like, what do you mean? Why is it like this? It's not supposed to be... The sky's not supposed to be blue at 9 Mm p.m. And, like, this is very funny, but also kind of sets the tone for the rest of the movie, where you just have no idea what time it is. 
While they're there, they also meet a couple from England who Pele's um, brother has brought, Connie and Simon. Simon, right. Yeah, they are very, like... They're excited to be there. They're so, they seem like a better couple. Like, they just got engaged and stuff. Um, and they're having, like, a good time. Um, I mean, they seem like a much more emotionally mature couple. Um, even though they're younger. Because they met on a farm working with Pele's brother. And, I mean, they haven't... Pele hasn't been out of the country that long. It's, Ingmar? It's Ingmar, I think, is his brother. Ingmar? Okay. Yeah, it's spelled I-N-G-V-E-M-A-R. I right. But I think it's pronounced Ingmar. I don't know where the V comes from. Um... And we find out, like, pretty quickly that Simon and Connie are also engaged, even though it seems like they've had a short relationship. But yeah. I guess we find that out in, like, a, a little while, like, after they get to the town. Danny seems really excited about this. She's like, what? Really? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it almost seems like she's being like, what, it's not normal to just be dating and not even living together after four years? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like, Christian is totally, seems totally oblivious to this. His friends seem to be picking up a little bit on, like... Oh, I I didn't think he was oblivious at all. Oh, it's, really? I thought I saw him roll his eyes, but I don't know if that's because... <laughs> Maybe. I was paying so much more attention to Danny because uh, I think it would be fair to describe Florence Pugh's performance as magnetic. She's, like, really, really good. Um, she must. She seems to have so many more muscles in her face <laughs> than the average person. Yeah, she's... Uh, She's English, too. Is she? She's playing an American character and doing a great job. Um, that's a theme that I think is carrying over between Hereditary and this one, is showing, like, men being very emotionally cold and muted, and women as being, like, almost cartoonishly expressive. Because, mm-hmm. like, Peter in Hereditary, Alex Wolf's character does not have an emotional reaction to any of the events of that film, including when, like, witches show up and start making dead bodies fly around. He's just totally like, I guess. There's, like, one moment where he reacts scared. And it's the seance scene, right? Like, at the end with the, um... When Annie is up by the ceiling. Oh, he has a meltdown during the seance scene in the living room. Yeah, oh, he's right. like screaming yeah. and he's like, I don't like this. I don't like this. I forgot. Yeah, he freaks out during the, the seance Well, it, it seems, seems so real. It seems like if men have emotions in these movies, it's a little more like, um, it's either like, you can't tell what the emotions are, but you know you're having them because of like slight body language, not because of facial expressions, or it's an explosion in the moment that passes. Yeah. Um, yeah, with like... It's it's just such an interesting connecting tissue, I think, that, that these movies both have this this aspect, because you don't usually see it in horror movies, but I think Ari Aster, I don't know if, if it's Ari Aster, Ari Aster, I don't know if the A's are pronounced the same or different, I'm sorry, Mr. Aster, um, but I think it's such an interesting, like, I think he understands... Like, in in his heart, that horror movies are about, like, validating the existing fears that women have. Most horror movies. That's, like, I think part of why uh, there's so many, like, real slasher fans that are women. Mm -hmm. Because slasher movies, whether it's on purpose or not, are about, like 
yeah, it's scary to be a woman in the world because some random guy could just come, like, stab you with a knife and yeah. nobody would care or notice. Um, and this carries that over even more to, like, emotional grief and trauma where, like, Danny is going through the worst possible time anyone could go through and all of the men in her life are like, ugh, God, she's so boring. <laughs> it's like, it just sucks for her. Uh, so she gets to this community and everyone's really nice to her and everyone's really kind of nice to everybody. Yeah, they're very excited to have all of these people here. It's like they're going to start their festival and they start it and it seems normal. It's just like dancing and chopping wood and like hanging out and yeah, you wearing know, normal, flower normal cult things. Like, yeah, like normal cult things. Nobody is like we, we have to hide in under underground bunkers to do the race war in like a couple months. Did we um, explain that this is where Pele grew up? Oh yeah, Pele grew up here. Um, Ingmar is his brother. Um, that might be a more complicated situation later, but he starts introducing people. Uh, he introduces one girl as having been born on the same day as him, yeah, but not as his sister. Well, he says, so pretty much my sister. Yeah. But he doesn't say, like, he calls his brother his twin, doesn't he? Does he? Yeah, this is my twin brother. Oh, We've I didn't been friends that. since birth. And then he says, this is so-and-so. She was born on the same day as me, so basically my sister. But then you're like, wait, why are so many babies being born on the same day? That's a little weird. Yeah, it's a little weird. Um, then they have, like, dinner, and it seems normal. And then they're like, tomorrow we're going to have this this special ritual that we're going to do. And I'm trying to, like, find the name of it. Um, it has some, like, at a, a test upon... A test upon. Um, and they go and do this, and, like, Josh, who's played by Chidi from The Good Place, is like, I'm stoked. Like, Pele's like, we're gonna do this ritual, and he's like, wait, really? Like, a real one? And Pele's like, well, yeah. Um, and he, I should have mentioned, they're all anthropologists, they're like grad students. They're getting their PhDs. Yeah, they're all getting, like... Yeah, uh, Pele, they talk about the life cycle of the people there. And from 0 to 18, you're a child. Then from 18 to 36, you leave the community and go see the world. And then you return at age 36, which I think is what Pele is doing now. Um, And then from 36 to 54, you're... um, a, like, working person, and you do work in the community. Yeah. And then from 54 to 72, you're, like, retired. You're a mentor. Yeah, a mentor, right. Um, And that's also broken up into spring, summer, fall, and winter. Yes. And they say explicitly... Uh, so I forget who asks Christian or somebody is like, so what happens at 72? And Pele makes the universal gesture for you die. And everyone's like, ha 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 ha. That won't be literal in this weird cult in the woods in Sweden. Uh, so they go and they have a nice breakfast on some kind of big, uh, rune shaped table. And this like symbol recurs throughout the movie of this like weird, like box. It's like a diamond with the, 
like arms coming off the bottom diagonally. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of like a tw- the Twin Peaks mountain symbol. Yeah, it's it seems very occult and pagan, and I like it. Uh, I thought the logo was going to be the like cross with the two loops yeah, on it, too. but that doesn't. That's just like on the maypole, and it doesn't really recur. And no one gets like hung in them or anything. Or like set on fire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like Wicker Man. Yeah, it's. Um, they all have this dinner, and uh, Josh is turns to Palin and is like, "Is that them?" Because like this weird old couple in different clothes comes out. And they lead, like, the meal. Like, nobody can sit down till they sit down or start eating till they start eating. Um, and then they get up and they get on these palanquins and are, like, led away. And everyone's like, we're going to go watch the ritual now. They're all standing there at the foot of this cliff, um, which is called an atastupa. Um, and the... Uh, this is like a real, well, real, I'm not sure real. It's like a legendary thing in, in like Nordic, Nordic prehistory that, um, old people would dive off of these cliffs to die. Um, rather than like, you know, getting old and wasting away. And I feel like at this point as a viewer, you like, as soon as they are standing at the bottom of the cliff, you're like, no, I know what's coming. And let me tell you, the director also knows that you know what's coming because there are some really long shots of all of our heroes just standing and staring like gape mouthed up at the cliff, like what's coming down off that cliff? What are we here to see? And you, the viewer are like, you don't want to see it. You don't want to see it. And yeah. There's so much time for you to like have that thought and then have it over and over again. What's uh, What's particularly amazing about this sequence is, um, I mean, I guess I can just blow through it real quick and then describe what's interesting about it. The two old people jump off the cliff and they smash into the ground and it's horrible, but the old man who jumps second doesn't die right away. So some of the village people come up and smash his head. In, the big old hammer. hammer. Like a big, like cartoonish, like Harley Quinn hammer, like a giant hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, what's remarkable about this is, you know, from having seen scary movies that they're going to do this. But what you don't know is that he's going to show you all of it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just going to be a wide shot where you can see the ground and the cliff and the person falling the whole way. Yeah, and when the old woman falls, she hits her face face first into the rock at the bottom and it splits her face open. And yeah. it's this horrible, like, yeah, I guess that would happen, but I'm so used to seeing things like this where, like, you would see her foot stepping off and then you would hear a sound or you would see... You would see her body, like, gracefully and sexily posed at the bottom. Or you'd like, see she's the main characters reacting to it as it's happening, but then you wouldn't see it happening and you get both things here. Yeah. It's it's like just so brutal and so carefully constructed in a way that I enjoy. But then at the same time, you have Connie and Simon, the two other the two people from England, who immediately after the old woman jumps start screaming and talking about how fucked up this is and screaming for the old man not to die. And as they're having these meltdowns, the the cult members around them are all doing this like, what's this guy's problem? Like facial expressions and like hands as they're like waiting for the next guy to jump off the cliff. And it's this weird juxtaposition of like, we the viewers think this is a bad thing. And these people from like 
in England and the U.S. think this is a bad thing, but these people who do this as part of their ritual are like, this is just how we do it. And that's super incredibly scary. That's yeah. so scary. It was actually a laugh moment in the theater when there, an old lady basically like looks at the camera and is like, look at this guy, right? Yeah. Um, and like, it is very funny, but also very scary because of the juxtaposition of her reaction being like, what? Calm down to what's actually happening is terrifying. Oh my god, it's so scary because it's, what, calm down. That old man who just broke his leg, they're just gonna smash his head in with a hammer now. It's like, no, no, no. I can't calm down. I don't like that there's someone in this movie telling me this is not a big deal. It makes me angry and more upset. Here's the thing, though. Simon and Connie are freaking out. Christian, Josh, and Danny are not reacting. Danny has... This is, like, one of the best sequences, I think, in terms of her facial expression, because it zooms in on her face. You get a little bit of her, like, her corner. She can move the corners of her mouth really well in a way where, like, you can tell that she's like, am I going to cry? Am I okay? I'm not sure. But then you see in her eyes that there's they're just glazed over. She's, like, processing it, but she's processing it, like, deep inside there. Yeah, she um, did not want to, like, come see a ritual suicide after having dealt with her, like, very deep family tragedy that involved, like, a sort of methodical suicide. Um, so she's not enjoying this. And also the two people that die are, like, old people, and her parents were old people. And she starts, like, hallucinating a little bit. She sees her sister with the mask, and then her sister's eyes open. Um, was this before or after the the ghost, the little ghost moment? I was also just trying to remember that. Um, There's a little ghost moment where she goes into a dark room. And she goes into like what I think is a bathroom. I think this. I think she goes into the bathroom and then she has the ghost moment. And that's again we see her processing something in her head and then running off and having a meltdown. Yeah. It's such an interesting um, recurring thing in the movie because I don't think that she saw her sister like that. No, like, she didn't. It's firefighters the, are cleaning cleaning it up and everything. It's the image. It's the... Yeah. When something horrible happens to someone you love and you're not there to see it, it's almost worse. Um, it really leaves you a lot of space to imagine. Um, and I think that they play off of that a lot in this movie in a way that I super relate into. Um and so when she was having these, like, meltdowns and these these jump backs, it definitely felt like less of, like, a horror aspect and more of, like, a real psychological thing that was happening to her, which is the horror, but it didn't feel like a ploy in the movie. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. There's, like, so many little touches and layers to it about how, how that event impacts her, because, like, the little details, I think, are what, what makes it, because she got the suicide note in an email and it said like I'm going back there again and I'm bringing mom and dad with us goodbye um and or mom and dad are coming to goodbye and it feels almost like like that's going to play more into later in the movie like oh she was messing with something occult and it made her do it but that's not what it was and Danny writes a bunch of email replies that her sister never reads. Yeah, when we when we see the shot of her sister um, with the hose, we see on her computer the email that she sent Danny in her inbox, and then on the bottom in the corner, four unread messages. Yeah, so, like, she, like, sent it and then immediately 
There was no time for Danny to do anything about it. Yeah, and that is, like, almost... Like, that adds to it, I think, the, like, helplessness. Like, she's having trouble processing this because there was literally nothing she could do. She has no one to blame, not even herself. And that, like... I don't... It's it's so... I don't know. It's, like, hard to talk about because it's... It's hard to figure out how it connects to the rest of the movie, but I can feel instinctually in my gut that it does connect to the rest of the movie. Well, it's like she's trapped. She's trapped in this, like, grief, and her dissatisfaction with her relationship is also something that she's trapped in, so it's just, like, a lot of things that I think are binding her at once. Yeah. And, like, when you're trapped in unhappy relationships and your own grief, I feel like there's this, like, huge sense of helplessness a lot of the yeah, time. Yeah, she, she feels like, well, I'm not gonna dump my boyfriend. I'm going through the worst time of my life. That exactly. would be stupid. But well, a big part of their relationship have. is that when this horrible thing happens to her, she kind of knows that he wants to break up with her. He wants to break up with her, but then there's no question as to whether or not they're staying together. Yeah. Because you don't break up with someone when they're going through the hardest time in their lives, is the idea. Yeah. It's it's like, it's a really weird thing, I think, about our culture um, that I think would not have been an issue if the other weird thing about our culture, which is that you're not, you shouldn't, you don't break up with people even if you want to. Uh, if that was not a thing in our culture, then this other weird aspect of like, you don't break up with someone you, even if you want to, if they're going through something hard, like that, those, I don't know. It's, it's like a, a weird meditation on, on Western society in a way, which they actually point out in when she gets to the cult, they talk about how like, Pele talks about his parents, and he's like, my parents died when I was a little kid, but I never had to feel how you feel, because everyone in this community raised me. Mm -hmm. Everyone here is my family. Even though the two people closest to me died, I didn't, I didn't feel that that sense of loss and despair, because it was like two out of a hundred parents. Right. On the commune, there, there's not aloneness, but yeah. in America... When you lose the people who are close to you, you're just alone. Yeah, we don't we don't have community here, which like is a pretty good point. And there's a lot of aspects of the way this cult lives that I think are like good and cool. It's just then you know also they kidnap and murder. Yeah. People. Oh my god, seeing this movie really made me question how susceptible I would be to a death cult. Um, like, in a, for a lot of reasons. I, I identified a lot with the character of Danny to begin with. Um, but then by the end of the movie, I was like, oh, if they didn't kill all those people, I would definitely be a member of this cult. Like, it's, it, and we don't actually find out for sure that they're killing people until, like, the kickoff to the big third act. So, like, um... Okay, I guess we should fill in the middle of it. Yes, yeah, Simon that. disappears, um... And the village elders are like, we just dropped him off at the train station, but there wasn't enough room in the car to bring you to, Connie, sorry. Um, and then Connie disappears, and um, every, like Josh and Mark and Christian and Danny are like, where did Simon and Connie go? And one of the cult guys is, is like, ah, I can clear this up for you. He literally says that. Yeah. Like, in that tone, like, pops out and pops his face <laughs> down the table and is like, let me just explain this real fast. Yeah, he's, he's like, by the way, they all went to the train and everyone's fine. Um, and everyone's like, okay, that's weird. And there's these two girls who are making eyes at 
Mark and Christian, one of the, the, there's like a blonde girl who keeps making eyes at Mark and a redhead who keeps making eyes at Christian. We also notice, um, like with them spending more time in the sun, I started to notice Christian was a A redhead. redhead. Mm -hmm. I didn't notice initially. Um, and I think that plays into it because then Josh learns that from, he talks to the village elder and like goes through their holy book, which is written by a like disabled youngster. And the, um, he asks the village elder, he's like, so do you just have to like wait for someone else to be like born with that disability? Like once this kid dies and the village elder is like, oh no, we just make another one with incest. Yeah. He literally says, uh, they're carefully created with inbreeding. Yeah. He's like, he's a careful, yeah. He says he's an intentional result of inbreeding. Um, and that, like, is a really big reveal. Um, well, that's then, especially interesting because at this point, Christian has also decided that he's, he's going to study the cult for his PhD. And so he's he talking to someone Kaylin, else and right? he says, do you guys have an issue with incest here? No, it's just like some guy who's working. The oh, I thought it something. was Pele or Ingmar, maybe. Maybe it was Ingmar. Um, um, but yeah, he's like, no, you have to get all of your mating approved by the village elders. Right. He says sometimes, and then he goes, and sometimes we even have to bring people in from outside to, to keep the bloodlines, like, you know, Going, separate. Yeah, he's like, sometimes cousins, like, sometimes, if it can't be helped, but, like, otherwise, like, if we need someone, we will bring someone. Right, and so the fact that they're talking about how there's incest, and then also there's inbreeding, really shows this, like, disconnect between, like, traditional practice and what's right, uh, within the group itself, I think. Yeah, they, they, the way he says it is, like, we respect the taboo on incest. Like, not as if he thinks it's weird, but as if he's like, we're not gonna let outsiders know that we do it. We understand that you guys think it's weird. Um, because there's a couple moments, they refer to the, um, the, the, like, seer, the disabled youngster, as being unclouded by um, regular cognition. I think they call him the Oracle. The Oracle, okay. And then later in the movie, they thank Pele for bringing these four outsiders as sacrifices and say that he is unclouded. Uh, they say, like, thank you for, for, for this, uh, like, your unclouded mind had the wisdom or whatever. And so then that's another line that's indicating, like, Okay, so... They are specifically inbreeding. They're doing inbreeding, but not every result of inbreeding has the disability they need for the oracle. Right, and that also really brings to light the whole, um, this is my sister, kind of. She was born on the same day as me. It's like, well, then they're absolutely practicing, like, inbreeding at certain times. They're like, we're going to need a new oracle soon, so everybody get to work. Yeah, and it's like... The so there's a point I think before this where there we see a tapestry and the tapestry reads from right to left. It seems to be a fairy tale about a woman who likes a boy but he doesn't like her. So I guess a woman likes a man or a girl likes a boy, whatever. Girl likes a boy, he doesn't like her. So it's like a medieval style tapestry. She clips off some of her pubes into a meal and drips some of her period blood into a a beverage and gives it to him and he's entranced. And then they get married and she has a like full belly. And uh, because we see this and because the camera goes over it so slowly, 
Um, and it's like almost comedic. Later, we see, we like know that someone has done this to Christian because he finds a suspiciously curly red hair in his meal, and his lemonade is a slightly darker shade than everyone else's. And this is brought up uh, in a funny way later on, because he meets with, like, one of the town elders, who's like, we've approved you to mate with... What Maya, is it? With I Maya, think? yeah. Um, so, you know, you can, you, can, or you can do that now. And he just looks at her and goes... I think I ate one of her pubes earlier, and the... She um, goes, yes, that makes sense. Yes, that sounds right. Yeah. And then we just see him walking out. That's the entire... He's also very high on some kind of, like, um, hallucinogenic tea at this point, yeah. too. Um, and for the rest of the movie, he's just, like, led from place to place and does whatever anyone tells him to do. Um, so at this point, he's, like... They're doing a dance contest to see who will be the May Queen. Oh, wait, but first, the two other guys. Um, oh, right. His friend... Mark sh- just gets led away. Yeah, after he pees on an ancestral tree. Yeah. He, he gets led away. After, like, he sees them scooping the ashes of the old people who jumped off the cliff onto this tree, he then, like, goes and pees on it in the next scene. Yeah, he's, he's such like, an it, asshole. It was dead. I didn't, I didn't realize, but he also I didn't... Know didn't it was special. I just had to pee. It's also implied in the beginning of the movie that he didn't realize that they were spending so much time not in a city area. Area. He kept talking about wanting to go to where Cop- Copenhagen or something. Stockholm. Stockholm. I obviously don't know geography. Copenhagen um, is Denmark. I think. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, um, yeah, so he wants like, to go to Stockholm, which is in the south of Sweden, and Pe- Pele is like, no, we're just going straight there. It's like the opposite direction. Yeah, he gets led away. He disappears, um, and then. Josh Josh goes and reads the special book that the elder, he was like, hey, can I take a picture? And the elder was like, what? No, absolutely not. It like, yeah, obviously he wouldn't be allowed to do that. It's weird that he even asked. Especially because he had already been told you can take pictures, but you have to be secret about it. So yeah, like you can't openly be like, hey, can I take out my picture phone? And like, no. Um, but he has, like, a real bug up his ass about this. So he goes and takes the pictures at night in secret during the, like, two hours of twilight that happen instead of night in this place. Mm-hmm. And he gets bashed over the head by someone who seems to be wearing Mark's mask, uh, face as a mask. Yes. And also has their whole dick out. Yeah. It's real, like... Sort of like the the one guy from Grandma's Photos in Hereditary mm-hmm. when we see him just, like, in the shadows, naked and smiling. Yeah, it's it's this weird moment where, like, he turns around and he's like, you're not supposed to be in here. I'm doing this, this secret thing I'm not supposed to be doing. And then, like, in the shadows, like, the shot doesn't really change, but your eyes focus in and you're like, oh, that's a guy with his dick out. Something really bad is about to happen. Yeah. Um, and he gets bashed over the head and it's implied that his body is violated, but then he gets, like, dragged away. Yeah. We don't see any of that, which no, I should I'm have thankful off for. during that part a little bit. I, I think really it's, get why that was... I think it's very smart of him to not use um, sexual violence as a point of horror, because, mm-hmm. like, these movies are already upsetting enough. Yeah. Um... He gets dragged away and disappears from the movie, and this is the first indication we have that, yeah, this cult is doing something wrong. Um, the this first, like, the solid point. evidence. Well, this is also the point in the movie where you're like, oh, these people are being, like, 
actually picked off, like, yeah. one by one. I was thinking, even after this, they go and they're like, um, so the elders are flipping out, they're like, where's our special book? It, it's, like, missing. And I was thinking, like, oh, maybe the cult is fine, and there's, like, some serial killer in, mm-hmm. in here, and, like, everyone is actually fine, and it's a normal cult. But no, uh, I don't know what was up with the book disappearing or who took it. Um, I guess we never really find out who's wearing Mark's. I f- assume face. it was the Oracle. Yeah, maybe. So maybe he took the book to like work on it a little bit. Maybe and find it, and they're like, we don't need to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's sort of like a, a thread that goes away. Anyway, uh, Danny wins the dance contest, obviously, because as soon as they mentioned the role of the May Queen at all, I was like, well, that's going to be Danny. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's the main character of the movie, and she's definitely going to have to be like burnt in, up in a big wicker man or something. Uh, she's going to get a helmet with bees on it. Oh, God, no, not the bees. Um, I'm going to mix the two Wicker Mans up just to make our audience mad. Have you seen either of those? Only the remake. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Um, That's rough. Yeah, I know. I watched it while I was baking cookies once at like three in the morning or something. Did you mention House of Wax to me the other day? Or yes, was I did. Did you see the original of that or only the remake? Only the remake. Huh. I'm like a 2004, 2005 or the years I was starting to be allowed to watch horror movies. Uh, anyway, this, um, she becomes the May Queen. They have to like get super high and dance around a maypole for uh, a long time until everyone passes out um, and she's the last one standing she becomes the May Queen she gets a flower crown can I say one thing about the May Queen sequence going into these movies I'm always going into this movie I was expecting a lot of deterioration at the end which I think we got but I was kind of hopeful because they drank a bunch of tea and then we're running around that we would get like a bunch of vomiting during the make the May Queen scene. I don't know why. Like I was hopeful? just like, yeah, like I was like, I want them all to be dancing and then to just start like vomiting and then they're out of the thing. Like I wanted it to be a little more like gross. Oh yeah, like maybe it's implied that they die. Not even that they die, just that they drink this tea and then they're like moving their bodies around a bunch and they get sick and that's <laughs> and part of the reason that they yeah they don't just like run into each other. Um, yeah, it's it's. It's, like, not as upsetting of a sequence as I thought, because there's one point in the middle of it where she's like, oh, no, I'm too high for this. But then, like, F, like, that passes, and she's having a great time again. Um, she catches on to their dance very quickly. Yeah. Um, she wins. She gets crowned. Then they have another dinner that is almost exactly like the ritual dinner for... Yeah. For that, like, to the point where I thought that they were then going to, like, throw her off I a cliff. I also thought she was going to get thrown off a cliff. Because, like, um, they all stand until she sits. They all don't pick up their forks and knives until she does. They all drink the same little drink, and they don't drink it until she drinks it. I think it's a cyclical thing is the idea. It's yeah. like there's death, and then there's rebirth of the May Queen covered right. in flowers. Um, yeah. Like, the blooming of her. It's important to note that at this point, Christian has been drugged. Um, and he is so uncomfortably high. Um, there's one <laughs> He's point. a bad trip. He says, I don't want to have a bad trip after one of the girls gives him a. Yeah. And then she's like, no, no, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. It'll bring down your inhibitions. And he's like, yeah, sounds good. Oh, she doesn't even word it that. F- she's like, it'll, it'll lower your defenses. She oh, says. Oh, yeah. That is what she says. Which is like, you want to write off as like, well, they're not that. The English isn't their first language. But like, no, she meant it that way. His body language changed changes so dramatically here too when he finally gets to the table he has his shoulders like up to his ears and his face like it looks like he doesn't have a chin anymore he's just so uncomfortable um and then it's very celebratory um they bring up an entire flounder 
over to uh, ma- um, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, what is it? Not a flounder. It's like a little fish. So, mackerel? Uh, mackerel? Is that what they They say what it was. Salted herring. Herring. They bring an entire herring over to her. They're and like, they're you like, have to try to ha, eat ha, it. It's ha, part of the game. You have to eat it tail first. And they try to put it in her mouth and she's like, bleh, bleh, bleh. And literally it like zooms over to Christian and Christian goes, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> yeah, this is like, if, if this had been the first sequence, I would have been like, oh, that's fun. That's a cute tradition. And there is no menace to this fish joke. No, because it's then... It's just that- a fun Funny she thing can't they eat do. it. She doesn't get in trouble, even though she can't eat yeah. it. They're like, "You tried enough!" Ha 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 ha! And then they take the fish away. Yeah, it's it's almost more upsetting that they're still at this point just doing like just fun joke thing. This is if they're like, "So we just murdered all these people, and now we're gonna play like pin the tail on the donkey." Doesn't <laughs> that sound fun? Um, so they the uh, a girl comes and leads Christian away while they are loading Danny into like a a. a girl drawn carriage. Yeah, um, and the idea is that she has to go and she's going to bless the the New Year's crop. Yeah, and they put a bunch of, like, seeds and a big uh, suspicious slab of meat and an egg. I thought the seeds were maggots at first, and I was like, Hmm. oh, those maggots are going to eat that meat. This is, like, a weird gross. And then I was like, no, 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 it's just supposed to be, like, meat like plants and then what's the thing on it's the top? It's an egg. egg. She puts an egg on. Yeah. She like smashes so it's a whole all, egg all with three the of those things are supposed to be yeah. fruitful. Yeah, and then that gets like buried by the girls and then they do we see her blessing anything? She starts to bless it, and then it cuts away immediately. Like, she's repeating some Swedish words. Oh, right. Yeah, it cuts away to Christian, who enters into a room with one dozen of the random villagers, uh, women, fully nude, and uh, the in the middle girl. is Maya, his red-headed bride. And it wasn't until this point where I noticed that none of the women shaved their legs or armpits. Mm-hmm. Um I guess because they all have on long sleeves and long dresses yeah. the whole time. Um, and they have the creepiest, weirdest ritual sex. And Christian is like, I guess, guess I do, do this. this. I guess. And he's like just going through the motions. And like some of the, when, when Maya starts like moaning, some of the women come, one of the women comes over and like starts singing, like turning it into a song and they all start singing it. And then one of the old ladies comes and starts like pushing his butt to make him thrust more. Yeah, this scene was, um... It's really, really uncomfortable to watch in a theater full of people. Um, or just in general. Uh, It's, this keeps getting intercut with, um, Danny's whole, like, blessing the crops thing. And then she comes back, and then they try to lead her, they're like, we go over to this building. And she's like, uh, what's all that? Sex sounds. Yeah, why are there so many women making sex sounds? Because they're all making the same sounds that Maya is making. Yeah. Um, And then they're like, don't go over there. It's not for you. And then she's like, I'm gonna, though. And she does. And they don't try to stop her, which is weird. She doesn't open the door. She just looks through the keyhole. I love this sequence because as soon as she hears it, she knows what's going on. Christian's not there. He's gone. She knows what's going on. She walks into the room. She just very slowly bends down. She looks into the keyhole. We don't see through the keyhole. That was the weird part, which made me think that, like, maybe it had escalated and now they were killing him or something. But no. 
It was, it was, we had already seen it. We knew what she was seeing and we had already seen her like go through these, like she's been like riding this entire movie on such a sense of loss. And this is like the last, like the last piece of the loss of her relationship. And so I feel like we didn't need to see him doing, doing this. Uh, we had all, we knew there was no, there was no reason for us to like intercut it between like, here's her facial expression as she reacts and here's him fucking this girl. Like it was just totally, um, then she goes and starts like barfing and flipping out and goes back to the cabin. All of the women are like mimicking her, her rhythms of her breathing. And then she starts turning it into like a rhythmic thing too. And she's sobbing too. Yeah. That's important. Like a lot. She's breathing, but it's like she's breathing, trying to come down from like a panic attack, basically. Yeah, she's I mean, like she sounded like me when I was having when I have a panic attack. Um, she's screaming her lungs out. It's like really good acting. Yeah, this is the part in the movie where I was like, oh, I would join this death cult, wouldn't I? I want to. I like literally was like, if I was in the theater alone, I would probably scream at these girls. Like, yeah. I don't know if that's just a sick personal thing, but, like, I, f- I want a bunch of ladies to, like, sit around me and be like, let's all grieve together. I want that. Um, this is where you all get a sort of better sense that, like, this isn't the type of sex cult where it's, like, there's a man who's in charge and he just has a big harem. It's, like, the type of sex cult where they're, like, obsessed with death and rebirth and the cycle of life in a way that we learn is a bit unhealthy. Um, and so it's like, all the women are having a great time. Yeah. They're like crying together. One of them gets to get laid and all of her favorite people are there for it. (laughs) It's like, uh, oh, when they're finished, she like picks her legs up to her chin. Maya. And it's like, I can feel it. I can feel the baby. And it's like so creepy. And Christian is like, uh, well, and, like, gets up and leaves fully nude. One of the things that Mark, this was a shitty friend, yeah. that Mark says in the beginning of the movie to him, when he's like, you should break up with Danny, like, a waitress comes over and takes the check and gives him eyes, and he's like, you could have impregnated that girl, and then he's like, and think about all the girls you're gonna get pregnant when you go to Sweden in June, and it's yeah. like, oh, Mark. <sighs> Prescient. Um... Christian wanders outside, his whole ding-dong out, and is just, like, looking around in a panic, and then sees some people and is like, I'll, I should, like, cut my whole business, and, like, cups it and runs around, and then... And this part was a little funny, because it feels very, like, it feels very hectic, and it feels like he's just like, oh, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, as his dick is, like, swinging around, it was just, I don't know, it was shot in a way where, again, like, it was like, this is a horror movie, but there's definitely more humor in this movie than there was in Hereditary. Yeah, I, I before we started recording, I made the comparison that hereditary is like a, a funeral ritual. Like the pastor doesn't crack any jokes, and you're not having a good time. And like this movie, Midsummer is just as upsetting, but it has much more of a setup like an '80s slasher movie, which is what it was originally pitched as. Until Ari Aster, with his broken mind, decided to put this dysfunctional relationship in the center of it. Um, and so, like. Yeah, it's fun seeing people run away from the crazy cultists. And, like, even during the sex scene, Christian being, like, freaked out about, like, how it's happening, like, being freaked out when the lady is singing and being freaked out at having his, like, butt pushed is, like, 
It's a little funny. Even though he's being, like, drugged and manipulated at this point, and it's, like, ethically bad, um, it is, I think, shot and performed in a way that's designed to elicit laughter. Well, I feel like at first when it happens, he, even though he's drugged, he's still a little bit like, ooh, like, I'm gonna have sex with these ladies, and, like, all these people are gonna watch me, like, ooh, and then once the other people start getting involved, he's like, wait, (laughs) what? And that's, like, legitimately how the actor plays it. Like, it's less in horror in the moment, and more and just like, oh, this isn't what I was expecting. Yeah. Um, then he bursts into a barn trying to escape and discovers the body of Simon still alive. So I, I obviously had to Google that because when I, I had a really hard time understanding what I was seeing. Okay. Um, he, he's still alive. His he's lungs been, were taken out of his back. He's been ritually dismembered as a still living, living blood eagle, which is something that is. That happens in Hannibal. Does it? I've never seen Hannibal. In one of the, actually, I think it happens in like Silence of the Lambs or something too. Um, but in, I think it's the first episode of Hannibal. One of the victims of the serial killer has the, the two victims have their backs flayed and brought up like angels and they're like tied to be praying. Well, the way, the way that this works, it's, I read a little bit about it. I clicked on the little link. And one more fun yeah. fact about Hannibal real quick is that, um, NBC said you can't show that because the butt cracks are there. So they filled in the butt cracks with blood, and the, the censors were like, yeah, that's fine now. Thank God. That, that fixed it for me. Actually, uh, anyway. that, show's like, that show is a little too graphic for me, which is odd. It is, um, I would say, close to as graphic as this movie, yeah. which is weird because it was on network television. Um, so basically, the way that the still-living blood eagle works, and they're not even sure if it was a real thing, it's just in a lot of like Nordic books. Yeah. Um, is that they break open their their ribs very carefully, and they, with the lungs still attached, pull the lungs separately out through the back, and then like pull them out to use as wings. But they are still attached, so he's that's, that's why, why they were moving pulsing, because he was yeah. alive, he was breathing, and his wings made of lungs were just doing their job. I hated that. It was really, really freaky. What was interesting about this movie is I expected there to be a supernatural element that there there wasn't. Yeah. It was just a normal cult. There's not even proof that them going through this ritual like actually Does anything, helps. Yeah. yeah. It's like they talk about wanting to defeat the, the, the black one as like capital B, capital O, like basically the devil. And you would think, based on the fact that they kill people that they would worship the devil, but they seem to not like the devil, which is an interesting choice. Yeah, I mean, it ties into this last sequence, which is where he, after... Oh, yeah, Christian gets bonked on the head. Yeah, after he gets, well, he gets, like, dust, like, thrown in his face and makes him pass out and paralyzes him or something. I think that was a shot in the trailer was the guy blowing Mm -hmm. the dust in first person. So he wakes up, he's in a wheelchair, he can't move, he can't talk, he's just, like, paralyzed from whatever was just blown in his face is what's to be assumed. Um, I'm gonna guess it was, um... Uh, blowfish poison because that's that does that, and, and I think it can be powdered. <laughs> we see we see that Danny is in the greatest outfit I've ever seen in a horror movie in my life. She's wearing her gorgeous her gorgeous May Queen um, crown, which is like like these brightly colored flowers and this amazing like arrangement of like it looks like a banner over her head, and then she's just completely encapsulated in flowers. 
hours. And when I say encapsulated, I mean like she doesn't look like a woman wearing a dress. Like she looks like a head coming out of a giant pile of flowers. It genuinely did not read as an outfit until she starts running around later. I thought that she was like drugged up like Christian and sitting I on had, a chair. I thought covered so in too. Flowers. I thought they had like like sewn flowers to her or something. Like she like in a way though where it was like she's never getting out of there. Like she's yeah. concreted in with these flowers. No, it was just an outfit, which was amazing. That was such a good reveal. When she got up and started walking, I was like, oh my god, this is the most amazing outfit I've ever seen in a horror movie. It's gorgeous, and it's so terrifyingly, like, bright and colorful, which the entire movie has been, but now we've seen all the horror, and this is how we're going to represent the main character. Um, Then, I think my favorite part of the movie, besides the, like, very last shot, I love this part where you know what's going to happen. That is one of the things about this movie is even though there's a lot of really wild, unpredictable things, every time, like, there's there was never a point where I was, like, in doubt about the fate of where the characters or where it was yeah. leading to. I didn't call the ending, but as soon as they were like, all right, we have the four sacrifices from outside, the four sacrifices from our village, and one that the May Queen chooses. And I was like, well, it's, that's Christian. Before they even said, we've pre-selected one outsider and one, and we're going to randomly select someone from the village, I was like, it's Christian. Can we really quickly just bring up how they choose the person from the village, though? That part, I almost lost my mind. Um, they're like, anyway, we're going to choose, like, the May Queen gets to choose between Christian and someone from the village village who's chosen by random raffle and they're like here's our big bingo ball machine with bingo balls with runes on them it felt like ari aster was like i can't make a like harvest cult movie without doing exactly shirley jackson's the lottery in it i have to do exactly it's the lottery. literally like you see the balls all like rolling around in a uh, big it's plastic so it's so funny um yeah, they, so obviously she chooses Christian. Yeah, they draw someone's name, Yarn, uh, Torn, Torbjorn. I only remember because that's one of the characters from Overwatch that people like. I don't play that game. Uh, Torbjorn and Christian are their choices, and we don't see her choose Christian. We just see a close-up of her face, and then it cuts away to a bear being disemboweled, and then Christian being sewn into the bear. <laughs> And then Christian being in a, in the little, the like yellow house that they were told earlier in the movie, like you can't go in there. That's the special ritual house. The gorgeous A-frame of my dreams. This, I could live in this movie, I think. I Um, think that you need to go join a a Swedish, (laughs) a Swedish death cult. I almost called it a sex cult. It's mostly a death cult. (laughs) Um, they, it's like they get let in, um, Mark's skin has been put on a scarecrow and then has a gesture hat attached gesture hat attached to it um josh's body i guess is in there too all the bodies go in i think all the oh i know we definitely see um jacob what is simon Simon. we definitely see simon's because the flowers are in his eyes he gets Mm -hmm. flowers in his eyes as part of it um and we see like a bloated soggy body that we assumed was connie's but it didn't really look that much like her yeah i had a heart i spent like that entire sequence of having to look at this body being pushed in a wheelbarrow for like an extended period of time being like who the fuck is that who is that we had to talk about it afterwards for me to be like i think that was connie but i didn't want to say anything i think ari aster has a thing 
where he wants the violence to look how it would look if it was really happening, which means that he wants this body to look how bodies look when they're decomposing, which means that she's not recognizable. Mm -hmm. That her, like, skin is pallid and... Yeah, it hurt my stomach a little bit. It was Um, really gross. Um, So they put them all in this nice house and then light it on fire. Including the two volunteer sacrifices right. who they One give. of which is Ingmar, yes. Pele's brother, and the other is just some random Yeah, guy. yeah. And they give them, like, a, some kind of, like, sap from a tree or something. A yew that's, tree. That's supposed to, like, make them not fear or feel. Mm, but then as soon as the other guy starts, uh, gets lit on fire, he starts screaming his head off. Mm-hmm. And it cuts back to the outside, and we see yet again for the final time. We saw this earlier, too, with the uh, cliff scene, because the man didn't die and started to, like, moan in pain. And everyone, everyone moaned with him. Yeah, everyone started play-acting agony um, in a way where it's like, that's a really interesting thing and like a positive I think that they all suffer together but like the fact that they're doing it while they're killing someone is very bad uh, and very spooky because he starts screaming and so they all start screaming and like like basic acting 101 like play act pain um then the house finishes burning down and we see the final shot is on Danny's face in her goofy dress and you mentioned the corners of her mouth and her smile starts at the corners of her mouth. It's so tiny but it's there and we haven't seen it in the rest of the movie. Yeah, this is the first time she smiles in the entire movie Yeah, after she has chosen for her bad boyfriend to be murdered. Well, I thought that this, this, like, the way that this this movie approached having a cult and having unwilling participants in a cult ritual was so interesting because like even when Danny is supposed to have a meeting with someone and reacts emotionally to the events that are taking place she doesn't get in trouble for not following the ritual yeah it's Danny never gets in trouble and she doesn't do everything right Mm -hmm. the whole time I think that because they've decided to welcome her in, they're immediately, like, once she becomes the May Queen, people start being like, you're our sister now, you're part of us. Well, she was also never supposed to die. She wasn't originally invited to Sweden. Right. She was not one of the people who was invited to be sacrificed. But Pele was like, I'm so glad you're coming, by the way. And I'm, like, about to tell you why I'm excited, but we are getting cut off by another person entering the scene. (laughs) Um, There was also a really, like, Pele is, like, really weirdly supportive too like um it's obviously manipulative so that they can their cult can get uh christians powerful valuable american seed and that they can have a new breeder join their weird I feel cult. Like also the other people that he invites um they're not good people they're Simon, not they're not great Simon people. and Connie seem fine. Yeah, I mean I don't know what their whole deal was. Christian were, and Mark were lousy. Josh was okay. Josh was okay but was like just wanted to know about them so that he could have a good PhD. Like Yeah. But she has the choice to let Christian survive and she doesn't. And it is really cool. Um because earlier in the movie, Pele is like does she, he's like comforting her in a way that could be construed as romantic if Christian walked in, and so she's like, "We like can't be sitting on the bed holding hands. Like, what if Christian walks in?" And he's like, "Christian's the other thing I want to talk to you about. Does he hold you? Does he hold you? Is he home? For, does he feel like home to you?" And she doesn't answer 
Because obviously not, because that's the whole point. He also forgets her birthday. Yeah, he forgets her birthday that is specifically happening on, like, the day they arrive at this crazy village. Uh, (sighs) Yeah, so, I mean, as soon as the credits rolled, Jeff went, oh, what was that, dump him the movie? And, like, yeah, I mean, I I loved it. Waste waste his time 2019. Yeah, I I loved that aspect entirely. Well, I also liked that the, the boyfriend character who becomes, like, kind of a kind of the nemesis a little bit by the end of the movie. I liked having a movie where he didn't have to do anything outwardly abusive or bad. It was just that, like, psychologically she was trapped in the situation with him, and that was horrible. For, like, psychically horrible for her. This and was, for him. Yeah. I mean, he was not... He wasn't without his own suffering. Like, I, he wasn't a bad person. This movie is a lot easier to read than Hereditary, but I also think that I enjoyed it less, even though I think that it's an exceptionally good movie. I think I found this movie, um, like, extremely cathartic. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. It's very much a movie that is, like, designed for you to have a similar experience to the character in the movie, Mm -hmm. where, like, you're supposed to, like... If you have that type of familial trauma in your life, you're supposed to be a little re-traumatized and then follow her on this right. journey well, to well, catharsis. When it started, I went through a very like recent family trauma like this past December. And so when the movie started and she was going through her trauma, I did have a moment of like, I don't know if I can watch this. like Because it was so immediate. And I knew going into the movie what type of movie it was going to be. Yeah. Um, but like I did have a moment of like, I don't know, which I also had it with Hereditary. But with Hereditary, the entire time, the entire movie, I was like, I don't know if I should be watching this. At this point, with this movie, it was more like... It gets it all out of the way. It gets it all out of the way, and then she doesn't know how to deal with it, but she deals with it in a way that's very, like, real to me. Um, So I I found at the end this, like, big cartoonish finale to be, like, the catharsis that I'm never going to get to get, but thank God this character got it. Yeah, like, she goes and joins a cult and lights her terrible boyfriend on fire and finally gets to feel good. Yeah. And, and now she has is, a family. That's a great way to end your movie. It's like, there aren't really things about this movie that I feel like I have to go read an article about to understand. Whereas with Hereditary, one of the big things that a lot of people got from Hereditary was a story of gender transition that I didn't pick up on while I was watching the movie. But essentially, the the read on there is that the demon Payman being born into a female body is like psychically upsetting, and I don't know if you could say that a demon, uh, like, evil god experiences dysphoria, but, like, they say explicitly, Payman prefers a male body, and then the whole, all of the events of the movie are in an effort to get Payman into a male body, which is essentially, the message becomes that gender transition is something which will destroy all of your personal relationships and kill your whole family. But at the end of it, you get to be who you were meant to be. And that's a really, like, I've had trans friends say, like, that they really enjoyed that aspect of the movie. That is an audacious message to put in your film. Yeah. Um, And this one, I think, makes a similarly audacious point where it's like, Yeah, kill your boyfriend and go join a cult. It's the only way that you're going to ever have a family again. You won't find your home unless you kill your boyfriend who isn't your home. And I think that being that audacious allows you to really internalize the message in a a stronger way. Yeah. 
No, I agree. I definitely have a few questions about some, like, directing um, choices. Like, there were a lot of shots where we saw characters interacting via mirrors, and I was waiting for that to play in a little more, um, and I didn't see any the any breathing, mirroring the between the characters. happened much either. Yeah. The, uh, <sighs> yeah. It's all over the trailer and not really that much in the movie. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of, uh, like, focus on the scripture itself, which was supposed to have been read like that with the breathing, Um, and I thought that that was strange. I wonder if it was, like, imitating the type of breathing that you're supposed to do when you're giving birth. I've been working with my therapist on deep breathing for panic attacks recently, so I felt like a lot of it was just, like, breathing as a way of, like, moving through any emotion. Hmm. Um... But I still don't completely see how it tied into the yeah. cult itself. It's it's a much messier movie, which I don't mind, um, because I, I don't need a movie to be, like, perfect. I think that it's remarkable, and it's yeah. beautifully made and constructed. It's absolutely not, like, a sophomore slump at all. But it's definitely not a movie that I liked as much as Hereditary. I'm incredibly excited to get a movie from this director that I feel I can rewatch. Yeah. Um, because I really enjoyed Hereditary, and we've talked about it a lot. I don't know if it would be wise for me to even, like, ever sit down and rewatch Hereditary, and I am barely ever comfortable recommending it. This one, I feel like I could buy it on DVD. I enjoyed it enough. I liked it a lot. I came out of it feeling like, fuck yeah, that was a good movie. And I can rewatch it. Like, yeah. I, I have had, like, Hereditary got put on Amazon Prime months and months ago. And I keep being like, should I rewatch it? I saw it a year ago. I think about it at least once a week. It's maybe, I would say in my top five as far as like the best movies I've ever seen. Yeah. And I'm having trouble convincing myself to sit down and rewatch it because it is so troubling. Yep. I, I have literally exactly the same thoughts. Every time it comes up in Amazon Prime, I'm like, God, that movie was fucking beautiful. I loved it so much. I'm not going to hit play. I just can't do it. I might do it now that I've seen Midsummer, though. <laughs> I might want to go back. Cause, like, it's, it's a different kind of movie. I think that if you've listened to this episode and you didn't see Midsummer, that it's still worth watching. Cause there's a lot of stuff that we didn't even get to, like the, uh, visual effect that happens every time someone's hallucinating that's so subtle. Um, until she's wearing the flower crown, and then we just mm-hmm. like the the background kind of wibbles and wobbles when any whenever anyone's hallucinating, and when she's wearing her flower crown, there's like one flower that seems to like breathe with the with the wibbles, and that's a really cool effect. And there's a lot of little cool camera things, like the way Ari Aster moves the camera is remarkable. Just nobody does camera work like this in movies anymore, and it's just so good. The way he builds tension just by how he moves the camera, even for something where you know what happened, where you already know, like, her family is dead in in their beds. Mm -hmm. You already know that that's what's happening. But the tension that he builds by how slowly he moves the camera through their home is phenomenal. Especially because he usually juxtaposes, like, slow movement with uh, slow movement of the camera with, like, fast movement of the characters on screen. Like, 
um, the firefighters are like moving through the house yeah. in panic and we're trying to follow them, but the camera's moving so slow that they're going to get there before us. He'll also do a lot of slow movements with hard cuts mm-hmm. where it'll be like moving very slowly and then suddenly cut to a completely different image. And in Hereditary, a lot of time that image was like very upsetting. And I don't, I'm not sure if there were any, I can't recall if there were any hard cuts to like gruesomeness in this one. I think it was more like sound. Mm-hmm. Sound was more abrasive than the visuals a lot of the time when we got those sharp cuts. It's, it's a, it's, I agree that that's one that I want to rewatch though. It feels like aesthetically there's a lot more to take in. It feels where... like one that I could like sit down and watch with friends, like at a party. Oh, Maybe... Yeah, it's a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. Um, like, people were laughing in the theater even up until, like, right at the end. And it is very funny to see him sitting there in that bear costume. Yeah, and I I do feel like the director knows that, too. Like, I mean, I remember a lot of people really disliked the ending of Hereditary because it gets so, like, cartoonish at the end. Oh, man, I Um, thought that was That was my favorite part of the movie. But, like, coming out of the theater, the, like, two or three other people in the theater, two of them were like, that ending was ridiculous. And I was like... Yeah, but I feel like it's on purpose. Like, that's part that's part of this genre. Um, especially, like, in Hereditary, they're dealing a lot with the idea of, like, Satanic Panic. It feels like a movie straight out of Satanic Panic 80s, yeah. right at the end there. Um, and with this one, it feels like the fucking end of at least the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man, yeah. where everything goes to shit at the end. It's very, very, like, kooky and crazy in a way that I enjoyed a lot. Um, what I liked more about Hereditary that wasn't present in this movie... And I think it just wasn't present because there's not as much shocking imagery is that in Hereditary, every time there was something scary, we would see the reaction, then the scary Mm -hmm. thing. Whereas in this movie, I was like looking for it. That doesn't really happen as much. We're sort of like in it with the characters. Yeah. But like, I'm thinking specifically of like when Annie is cutting her head off with the wire at the end we see Peter reacting to it for, like, several seconds first, and we hear the sound, and then we see it. And that, to me, was the scariest image in the entire movie. You make me want to see watch Hereditary tonight, which I don't think would be a good oh, idea. God, I don't think it would be a good idea either, but I might want to. Um, <laughs> and, like, it's just then, like, the quiet after that, that is, like, the climax of that movie, and the quiet after, as the bodies, like, float up to the treehouse mm-hmm. is really good. Um, and this movie didn't really have quiet. Like, it ends with a big fire. I did think that this movie had a little bit too much of a soundtrack. Um, too much music? Yeah, there was a little too it. much music for me. I, that's always how I feel about mm-hmm. horror movies, though. I'm, like, I'm a big... Funny Games is, like, one of the first horror movies I ever saw, and there is not a soundtrack hmm. in Funny Games. Um, and so, like, I'm usually, like, I want quiet, because I think that it's really scary to just hear the sounds of people going through horrific stuff. Um, which is maybe, like, a little dark, but it's what scares me. Um, I think that's all we have to say about Midsummer. Oh, we took an hour and a half. Sorry, Chris. Sorry, Chris. We'll get Taco Bell now. He has to wait for Taco Bell all this time while we talk about a movie he didn't see. He's in the other room now, so it's fine. Um, so tell the audience where they can find your work. Um, you can find me on Instagram at a tender witch. This episode goes up tomorrow, so if you have any projects uh, that are important now, you can plug them. I don't think I do, but I just put a bunch of my original artwork up for sale on Etsy, and I really need to pay my rent. So you can find that Etsy link on my Instagram page at a tender witch. 
Cool. Uh, you can find me on Instagram as well and Snapchat, JeffJK. You can go to... I've been giving out my coolnames.biz Mastodon, but, like, I've been having trouble with it, and I want to, like, transfer to a new domain. So I'm going to tell you to follow me on mastodon.cloud slash at JK. Um, but if I'm not tooting there, then it's coolmemes.biz slash at Jeff. You can go leave a review on iTunes or wherever. Apple Podcasts, I guess, is what it's called now. Um, we actually got up into the, like, top ten of the literature somewhat okay. recently. Um, I think we were hovering around 11 last time I checked, which is pretty cool. I know literature is not, like, a huge podcast category. It's not like we're in the top ten comedy um, but that, that feels pretty good. So, I mean, we, we didn't get in, gain any more listeners, so I don't know how that works. <laughs> um, but recommend the show to your friends. You can join the Discord if you message me. You can join Creepypods the fan group on Facebook to, uh, chat about the show. If you have complaints about the show, I don't want to hear them. Just DM your friends about it. Um, and that's, uh, I think all I have for this one. I say that every time, and then there's always one more thing. Go to weaponizedlanguage.com to listen to more episodes of this show or to my other podcast, Hack the Net, which I think is much better than this one. And I know that sometimes I talk about how I might end this show, but maybe I'll really do it this time. Maybe episode 200 will be the grand finale, but maybe not. We'll see. I just wanted to put that energy into, I think this is episode 191. Um, so you might get nine more of these and then no more ever, or I'll just keep doing it and who cares. Um, I just sometimes get a little weird about out. I, I like I don't like the stories that we read, but when we do one that's <laughs> cool like this about a movie that I enjoyed, then I feel reinvigorated. Just about do horror it. movies instead. Ugh, everyone does that. That's like a, a zillion podcasts already. Yeah, but it's so fun. I can't bite the style from our our friends over at Halloweeners. They do horror movies. That's true. They're actually releasing an episode about Midsummer like soon. They just went to go see it and are recording. Oh, our podcast life. episode is going to have to fight their podcast episode. The same thing happened with Hereditary, except they I think they beat me to posting about it. I think I recorded first, but they posted theirs first. I think this one is being being recorded and posted before theirs. Okay. So, okay. we beat them. Take that, Cody. You don't listen to this show. You listen to the other show. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you do listen to this one. That would be weird. Uh, come on my podcast. Be a guest. Anyway, uh, that's all for this episode. Goodbye. <laughs>